Grab your Bibles now and open them to the book of Joshua, and let's uh, look at that for this morning. <clears throat> um, pardon me. Um, I just want to underscore that um, kingdom opportunity, kingdom investment, uh, a vacation Bible school. Uh, we, uh, we're getting close, and we need to do it and do it well. Hey, uh, also that Friday night at the fields thing, uh, I have three daughters, as you know, and one of them lives in D.C., Washington, D.C. She has uh, six kids, but four of them are still at home, and they're, they're young, and, and I, we told her, we told Megan, my daughter, what we were going to do on Friday nights, and she said, in, in, uh, in Washington, D.C., that is the lust of every family, because every Friday night, they're, they're, they're out of school, they're off tomorrow, and they come home, and they look at mom and dad and say, okay, what are you going to do to entertain us tonight? <laughs> and parents are looking for things, and so this is a, this is a gift to you parents on Friday night, we've got something for you to do, and you can, you can let them run wild. Um, we'll find them by the next Wednesday. Um, and then uh, take them home, give them a bath, put them to bed, and Friday night's over. How about that? I think that sounds like fun. Um, guys, you may have noticed in the bulletin that my text is Joshua 5, 6, and 7, three chapters of Scripture. You know that I'm not going to read three chapters of Scripture to you. I'm not. But I do want to tell you the story that is, or at least... A portion of the story because there's all kinds of little avenues that we could go down but I, I want to tell you a part of the story that's contained in, in, in Joshua 5 6 and 7 first of all you, you understand that um, Joshua the book of Joshua is a history book it's about the history of Israel you know that don't you uh, I hope I'm not insulting anybody's intelligence um, uh, you know Israel is out of Egypt They've been gone for 40 years. They've been traipsing around in a wilderness led by Moses. But Moses is dead. Joshua is now taken over. And Israel has now crossed the Jordan River um, from the east to the west and entered the Promised Land, and they've camped at Gilgal. Uh, that's in chapter 4, uh, verse 20. That is, uh, they're, on the, they're in the Promised Land now. And Joshua's leading them, and they're camping at Gilgal. Um, But the the next big thing that's out in front of them is Jericho. That walled city that, oh my gosh, how are we ever going to overtake Jericho? But before they they enter that battle with Jericho, the Lord shows up to Joshua and says, okay, this is in chapter 5, verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. The the sacrament of circumcision had been neglected by them in those 40 years in the wilderness. And so God says to Joshua, before we ever go fighting anybody, and you go take on Jericho, I want all of the men of Israel to be circumcised. So they are, they stay there, and they heal a bit. And if you'll notice in verse 9 of chapter 5, And the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. That that tells you what, (coughs) pardon me, what the symbolism behind circumcision is. It's the rolling away of defilement, of uncleanness. Okay, so first of all, before you go to Jericho, I want you to circumcise all the males. And then notice in verse 10, they're still at Gilgal, still at the same camp. When the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover. 
So they were circumcised, and then when everybody got well, they observed Passover. Do you see that? That's all in chapter 5. Now guys, this morning I brought a different Bible with me. It's a Bible with notes. And I don't encourage anybody to ever buy a Bible with notes. They, they become too much of a crutch. But uh, the notes, that, that is. But I want to read you one of the notes in this Bible. And I bet you, if you've got a Bible with notes, the notes in your Bible are going to say the same thing this guy said. Because what, what I'm about to read to you is pretty much universally accepted in the Christian church. Everybody agrees with this. Um, five or six sentences. Are you ready? Uh, with Israel now finally in the land of promise, after so many years of living in the desert, the urge to begin the conquest must have been powerful. But Joshua underscores matters of even greater importance. The reinstitution of the covenant sign of circumcision and the celebration of Passover remind God's people of their privileged covenantal relationship with him, signified by circumcision, and of their redemption out of, bond, out of bondage by him, signified by the Passover. Now listen to this sentence. These two fundamentally important rites, R-I-T-E-S, are paralleled in the New Testament by baptism, the sign of the covenant relationship, and the Lord's Supper, celebration of redemption from the bondage of sin through the sacrificial death of the Lamb of God. Now, did you understand what I just read you? Um, that last sentence in particular. What you're being told by this note writer, um, and I, 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 I'm telling you, it's universally accepted in the Christian church. You can, you can check if, you, if you'd like. But there are two huge sacramental ceremonial rites, R-I-T-E-S, in the Old Testament. And both of them are picked up out of the Old Testament and brought into the New Testament. Very different, of course. But circumcision is replaced by baptism. That's their, their connection is that they're both cleansing rites. So the New Testament version of Old Testament circumcision is baptism. Okay? And then... The Passover is picked up out of the New Testament, brought into the, excuse me, out of the Old Testament, brought into the New Testament, and the New Testament version of Old Testament Passover is this, the Lord's Supper. Now, you, you, you got that stored away. Two covenantal signs, both observed here in chapter 5, both brought into the New Testament, all right? That brings us to chapter 6. And this is the really exciting one everybody loves to preach and teach and read and use in Sunday school. It's about the Battle of Jericho. You know, Joshua, at the Battle of Jericho, Jericho, walls come tumbling down, 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 down. You remember that? Okay. That's chapter 6. But before the battle begins, God issues clear instructions to the army. It's in chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, uh, um, no, 17 through 19. Here they are. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. 
Only Rahab the prostitute and all those who are within our house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring up trouble upon it. But all the silver and gold, every vessel of bronze and iron are, iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. Do you see the instructions? Joshua gets the army together and he says, okay, fellas, we're about to get in there. Those walls are going to tumble down and we're going to whoop up on the, the Jerichoites. But here is the very clear instruction from the Lord to us. All of that spoil that you normally take, you can't take it. Everything. Everything is to be devoted to destruction. All the iron, the gold, and the silver, that'll go into the, the treasury of the Lord. But take nothing. Very clear. Right there. Chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Then we come to chapter 7. And so there's this other little town, little city-state called Ai. Ai. That's why we pronounce it Ai. Um, anyway, so it's just a small little place, a little speck, you know. So they only send 3,000 guys up there. And um, in the little battle with Ai, Israel is routed. And they lose 36 soldiers in um, uh, verse 5 of chapter 7. Joshua is distraught. Look at him, um, verse 6, 7, 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes, fell to the earth on his face, and before the ark of the Lord until evening, he and the elders of Israel. And put dust on their heads. And, oh, Lord, this is terrible. What has happened? And I want you to notice what God says in verse 10. Then the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. Here's the problem, Joshua. It's not that AI was any big deal. It's that Israel sinned. I told them what they should and shouldn't do when they went in there. And a man by the name of Achan, A-A-C-H-A-N, I think, um, Achan decided, well, he saw a slab of gold, a couple of slabs of gold, and a couple of changes of clothes, and he took them for his own and hid them in his tent. So you got to get rid of that. And so they go through this process, and finally Achan is identified. Now look at chapter 7, verse 25. Um, and Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned him with fire and stoned him with stones. Achan is destroyed. He's condemned and perishes under the weight of God's judgment administered through the, the nation of Israel. Now here's my point. In all of that little historical review, here's what I want you to see. This man, Achan, ended up destroyed but he is the same man who had participated in both sacraments in chapter 5. Do you, do you see the lesson, brother and sister? 
merely participating in a sacrament doesn't in and of itself prove anything about the true condition of one's heart. On on occasion, I I ask people, I say, well, now, when did you become a Christian? And they reply to me this way. They say, well, I I got baptized when I was 12. Well, I, I, I'm glad they got baptized. That's a, very, that's a very good thing that you did. But that doesn't necessarily seal the deal. Ask Achan. Achan was baptized, at least the Old Testament version. Achan enjoyed the Lord's Supper, at least the Old Testament version. He was in the audience that, uh, that partook of Passover, and he was one of the males who was circumcised. He had been baptized, and he had joined the church. And he ended up being destroyed. Because, ladies and gentlemen, a mere participation in the sacrament itself That's not the thing that changes the heart. You see, participation in the sacraments is not the thing that saves you. These are mere, I I say mere, they're very significant symbols. They're symbols that point to a reality. This one points to the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's the reality. These are symbolizing that. So if I simply and only do this without having embraced the reality, it means nothing. Oh, but I was baptized when I was 12. Oh, I'm glad. But so was Achan. Achan had participated in both of the sacraments. And he perished. That's all I wanted you to see. A man, a very significant participant in the life of the church, chapter 5, even served Israel in the battle, but ultimately has a heart that is unchanged. Folks, these sacraments, they're they're wonderful reminders of the gospel. But it's not the sacrament that will change your heart. It's the reality to which they point. You get that, don't you, I hope? We're going to do this thing, and it's a very significant religious ritual. But just participation won't change your eternity. It's an embrace of the thing to which this sacrament points. Broken body. Shed blood. Of Jesus Christ on behalf of sinners. That. That is the thing, ladies and gentlemen, that we must embrace. Not just some kind of robotic participation in the event. 
You know, guys, we sing another hymn around here, which is such a rich one. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground. But there's a, there's a line in that hymn, and it goes like this. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. I dare not. I dare not trust the, my baptism or my, my, my church's orthodoxy or my confirmation class or my church attendance or going to the Lord's table. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. But wholly lean on Jesus' name. These, ladies and gentlemen, only point us to him. This will not save you. He will. Our Father, would you make that very clear to your people here today? And, and if you have led somebody here this morning who has not yet seen the, um, the distinction that I just made, would you help them see it? That... Um, that sacraments don't operate to change hearts. They just point us to the realities that do change hearts. So, Father, might your people gather around this table to their grand benefit, not to their damage. Would you, um, would you help us to see the great richness of these two sacraments? But in no way will the sacraments, apart from the reality, save might all of us know not just that we were baptized or participated in the Lord's Supper but that we have embraced the Savior meet us here now Lord Jesus we ask it in your name amen